I pay homage to the Buddha. I pay homage to the Dhamma. I pay homage to the Sangha. Good morning, everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. I uh, hope no one's too sick of pumpkin spice yet. Seems like they're putting that stuff in everything. Who knew that cinnamon cloves and nutmeg could be so exciting? I think it's in spam now. It's everywhere. Uh, mostly lattes, from what I hear. But hopefully no one's sick of it yet, because uh, it's not even November yet. Ooh, we got so much more pumpkin ahead of us. So uh, today's topic uh, came about during a discussion I had at University of the West. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I'm working on my uh, Master of Divinity to be a Buddhist chaplain. So I'm working alongside a lot of other Buddhist ministers, monks, nuns, Dharma teachers, all learning how to be chaplains out in the world, doing good stuff with the Dharma and hopefully alleviating suffering, uh, which is exactly what we were talking about. How do you alleviate suffering? You know, one person was talking about uh, feeling guilty, you know, that this student was at the university where there's all these peaceful people sitting around, meditating, having a good time, sharing camaraderie around the Dharma, and then they watch the news. Oh, big mistake, number one, right there, watching the news. But she watched the news, and she saw all this stuff happening in the world, all these things out there causing suffering, all these people in pain. And then, you know, not only what do you do, but how do you alleviate this guilt of, of having this good, peaceful life practicing the Dharma? Someone else also was talking about you know, how, it, how is it that you even help in the first place? How do you connect to another person, say anything, do anything that, that helps them, changes them, transforms them? It seems as if you can't. And another person spoke about this one uh, sutta in the Pali Nikayas, the Pali Canon, uh, the story of an acrobat with his assistant. And the acrobat and the assistant have this back and forth this exchange that seems to be saying if you read it kind of very casually, that the Buddha is agreeing with the view that you only take care of yourself, you don't take care of others. And then so that seems to, all together in this conversation, uh, move around this question, move around this theme, uh, ultimately is Buddhism selfish? Now, to ease the attention right away, I'll say it's not, right? It's not selfish. But... Are there selfish Buddhists? Yes, right? Of course. That's why we practice. A lot of selfishness going around. And also a lot of misunderstanding about what the path ultimately is about. I would say just in mainstream society, this view that really, ultimately, what we're doing is sitting around, navel-gazing, watching the breath, not really getting around to anything all that important or useful, even to ourselves, let alone anybody else. And it's popular as a theme enough that you have people meditating as, a, as sort of a, a self-improvement thing they do that's cut out of their day but not a part of their lives. This 20 minutes they do before they head off to work, you know, where they steal pencils and pens from the office and make inappropriate comments about their coworker, right? And then it's just this thing they do again in the evening, you know, right before they turn on Netflix and fall asleep in front of the TV. And it's not something integrated into their lives. And it's not something understood, this practice that we do. 
So at the very beginning, what I'm going to do is I'll, I'll tell you this story in, in the suttas, what the acrobat is really about, and how we might misunderstand this teaching if we only read, quite honestly, just the first part. So the sutta that I'm talking about, it's the acrobat, it's the Siddhika Sutta out of the, uh, I think it's the, I think it's the Sanyutta Nikaya, if you're interested. And this sutta starts out with the Buddha having visited some people who live in this town of Siddhika. And Siddhika is kind of an interesting name because I think uh, directly translated from the Pali, Siddhika means like, uh, like sweating or like working or you know, um, toiling. So it's, it has this kind of word that, that plays into an acrobat, what an acrobat does. A lot of sweating, a lot of moving, a lot of effort. And so he's sitting there and, and with these students in this town that means sweat, and he goes, I'm going to tell you guys a story about an acrobat. This acrobat and his assistant, Medhathalika, or, yeah, I can't remember the actual poly word right now, but it's okay, because I'll go ahead and just use the English, because it's funnier. This Pali word means frying pan. I don't know why the assistant's name is frying pan in this story, but that's her name. So rather than use this beautiful Pali word that I already botched, but even if I hadn't, you'd have been, wow, what a beautiful word. I hope if one day I ever have a Dharma name, that's my name. Okay, frying pan, it is. But that's how the story goes. The, the, the Buddha starts out with this acrobat and the assistant frying pan. And what I like about this is that we often forget that there's actually a lot of humor in the suttas. A lot of funny jokes that the Buddha himself tells. Remember, this is the Buddha speaking. He's creating a story in the moment. Let me tell you about this acrobat and his assistant frying pan in this town of sweat. And... Uh, and so he, he goes on with this story. So the acrobat is, uh, is the kind that uses this, um, it's a bamboo pole. And so the way they often do their routine is they climb up the bamboo pole, do all these really cool tricks at the top of the bamboo pole, and it's very impressive, and requires a lot of skill. So the acrobat is getting his bamboo pole set up, and it's ready to go, and he's, a, he's, he's climbing up, and he says to his assistant, Hey, frying pan! please come here and climb on top of my shoulders. And Frying Pan says, yes, of course. And so, you know, the, the acrobat gets up onto the top of, the, of the, the, uh, the bamboo pole, and then the acrobat climbs, his assistant Frying Pan climbs up on top of the shoulders, and then the acrobat says, okay, so this is how it's going to go. You're going to watch out after me, and I'm going to watch out after you. And in this way, we'll both be protected, we'll both be safe, we'll both be guarded, and then we can do our routine, come down the pole, and get our payment, and everything will be fine. And the assistant frying pan says, that's not going to work. Here's how it's going to go. I'll watch after myself, you watch after yourself, that way we'll both be guarded, protected, then we'll get down the pole after our tricks and get paid. That's how it's going to work out. And then the Buddha says, you know, out of the two of them, frying pan's the one that's right. And then people read that and go, no way. Is that what the Buddha is saying? Now, he goes on to continue in this sutta, and you realize that's not what he's talking about. But we also see evidence for why the Buddha would say that frying pan is correct in the first place. 
in other uh, Nikayas, I think specifically in the Anguttara Nikaya, the Buddha talks about four kinds of people, four kinds of practitioners, those walking the path. At the very lowest, you have those that do not practice for themselves or others. Above that, you have those that practice for others, but not themselves. Interesting. Above that, you have those who practice for themselves, but not others. And then the highest form is one who practices for themselves and others. That is the very highest. So in the scheme of things for the Buddha, frying pan is actually the more skillful for focusing on herself, whereas the acrobat is less skillful by only focusing on others and not himself. The reason for this is quite clear, and the Buddha even shows other examples in other, in other Nikayas about how this would work. He even uses the uh, five precepts as an example, right? The lowest person doesn't follow the precepts and doesn't care if others are either. They're just living whatever life they're living. You have another person who really cares if others are living the precepts, but not living them themselves, not following them themselves, not avoiding killing, stealing, lying, mis you know, sexual misconduct, intoxication, all of that, right? Then you have the one that is at least, at the very least, focusing on themselves in terms of living the precepts, but not really paying attention to the activity of others. And then you have the highest, someone who is following the precepts, having taken them in, learning to live skillfully, and then also is encouraging others to live skillfully. Not dictating to others to live skillfully, not forcing others, but the word used in the Pali Canon is encouraging. And I think that's important too. So why, in the scheme of things, is it more important to, at the very least, focus on yourself than it is to just only focus on others on the outside? Now, for me, I, I've come to realize that when we're talking about ourselves, we need to put it in the, front, in the right frame of reference. And we always talk about three refuges. In fact, even at the beginning of the talk, you heard me pay homage to them, to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha. Now, we can think of those as refuges that come from outside, from the external. The Buddha as someone who discovered the Dharma, the Dharma that is learnable, that is shareable, that is transformative, and then the Sangha, which is a community that upholds us and helps us as Kalyanamita, spiritual friends. But then all of that needs to be taken inward to what I would say is the secret fourth refuge, which is ourselves. We have to take that in and then do the work. We have to practice the path. We have to learn from the Four Noble Truths, the Eightfold Path. So then there is this fourth refuge that only we can provide. It's our own selves, our own efforts, our own intentions. And so uh, that's the way I, I have come to view it. The secret fourth refuge, which really, when you read other suttas, is not much of a secret. You know, the Buddha tells you, be a refuge unto yourself, be a lamp unto yourself. And people often take that as, okay, so I can just do my own thing, figure it all out. I don't need these other things. I don't need the Buddha, the Dharma, or the Sangha. You still do. Because it's only by taking them into yourself and applying those lessons that you really have that skillful use 
of yourself as a refuge. Now, again, when we looked at the sutta itself, and here I am once again using my phone, good millennial here, again, that joke will never get old to me. Uh, The Buddha says, Monks, the establishing of mindfulness is to be practiced with the thought. I'll watch after myself. The establishing of mindfulness is to be practiced with the thought, I'll watch after others. When watching after yourself, you watch after others. When watching after others, you watch after yourself. Now, even that, I believe, this is my opinion, needs some further unpacking. Because it sounds as if the Buddha is saying that it's equivocal, it's the same. If you're focusing on yourself, you're naturally focusing on others. If you're focusing on others, you're naturally focusing on yourself, working on yourself. I think that's a very uh, non-dual way of looking at it, and there are certainly schools of Buddhism that would agree with that kind of interpretation. But I think, for me, what's more useful is to make uh, a clear distinction there that when you are working on yourself, you also are having this thought, this focus, this intention of helping and working with others. When you're working with others, you have this clear thought of working on yourself, that you are not only doing one or only doing the other, but in all times doing both, focusing, having that thought and clear intention of doing both. And in that way, you're making sure that what you're doing is ultimately skillful, ultimately helpful, not just to yourself, but to others, and not just to others, but yourself. I think that's important. The Buddha goes on further to say, And how do you watch after others when watching after yourself? Through cultivating the practice, through developing it, through pursuing it, this is how you watch after others when watching after yourself. And so, cultivating the practice. That's pretty straightforward. The practice is the Eightfold Path. And the Eightfold Path is broken up into three very distinct categories that are mutually supportive. I always like thinking of them as a tripod, right? Because you can't really have just one or two, you need three to keep that balance of sila, samadhi, and panya, right? Sila is all about right thought, right speech, right action, right livelihood. Now, those are all seen as actions. Even thought is seen as an action. And so, this view of of Buddhism is sort of being like reduced to a um, sort of passive activity. It's just this meditation thing you do before you have your bulletproof coffee and write in your journal. You know, is it, it's it's something much much more than that. It's an it's an active process. Even meditation is in is in pursuit of training the mind towards skillful action. Because thought, mental activity, is mental action. You are doing things. You are producing things, cultivating things. Right? Mind and mental objects are still considered to be fabrications or um, conditioned things that exist, sankaras. That's the word that's used in Pali. So you're always creating things. You're always fabricating things. You're always creating these, these mental objects in your mind. That's, that's an action. And the Buddha tells us to 
steer our mind to navigate towards what is skillful and to navigate away from what is unskillful. And we find what's ultimately skillful makes a lot of sense. We're working on cultivating peace within. We're, we're working on finding a, a lasting and true happiness that's not dependent on anything outside. It can't be taken away from us. It can't be removed from us once cultivated. It's something that, that we have inside us. So that's why we're that refuge, because the things that we're working on are inside. And even when they go out to others to alleviate their suffering and help them, it has to come from within. Now, this might be more important to me as someone who's trying to figure out how to be a chaplain. Because the thing is, any work you got to do, you got to do it with gas in the tank. And if you're not cultivating yourself, if you're not focusing on yourself and working on yourself, then when you come across someone who's really suffering, really in pain, what do you have to give them? You don't have a whole lot because you haven't built that, that kernel, that, that nice, firm foundation of, of happiness and peace. What the Pali word is, is sukha inside of yourself, which is ultimately the most important thing. That's, that's the seat, the foundation from the, for the rest of the practice. For anything else that you do, any, any other interactions you have. So the guy that you know, I was kind of making fun of before, the one who meditates for a little bit and then steals pens at work and all that stuff, what does that guy have to do to actually follow the path skillfully? When he sits down to meditate, he shouldn't just be like, oh, oh okay, I'm just going to like, you know, sit here and, and just kind of zone out for 20 minutes. And then, uh, yeah, I'm just going to go take my shower, shave, and then hit the freeway. What is he doing in those 20 minutes? Now, if he's practicing the way at least I practice, and I can only talk about my own, then he's doing breath meditation. Breath meditation is something that's really pleasant, really gentle, because you're just there with your breath. And you, you follow the breath, and it's very relaxing. It goes in, and it goes out. And you can let that, that peace grow in you, spread through you, spread throughout the whole body. And then you can go, ah, so this is what peace feels like. This is what happiness feels like. And carry that in you, this feeling of peace. And if you can hold on to it throughout the day, guard it and protect it, you find that you have enough patience to deal with the people on the freeway. You feel, you feel as though you have a nice spot to relax in so that maybe you're mindful enough to not take that pen. You actually put it back down like, oh, that's not mine. I'll leave that there. You have a secure place in yourself so that you have enough energy, really, to look at your speech and go, ah, you know, I shouldn't make that comment about so-and-so. So that foundation within is something that, that spreads outward to, to others. We find this, of course, in other parts of the suttas when the Buddha is talking about the Brahma Viharas, right? All, all the levels of, of, of kindness and generosity that we can muster all the way to equanimity, you know? And, and even all of that is something that starts from it within and goes outward. The Buddha encourages us to start with ourselves, to come to a place of kindness and compassion for ourselves. And if we can do that, we can spread that outward in the six directions, you know, to the north, south, east, west, above, below, and we can do that. But it always has to come back. Now, the Buddha continues 
The establishing of mindfulness is to be practiced with the thought, I'll watch after myself. The establishing of mindfulness is to be practiced with the thought, I'll watch after others. When watching after yourself, you watch after others. When watching after others, you watch after yourself. And how do you watch after yourself when watching after others? Through endurance, through harmlessness, through a mind of goodwill, and through sympathy. This is how you watch after yourself uh, when watching after others. One of the things that, that I find really helpful when I'm observing my actions, these are mental and physical, is, is harmlessness. You know, the Buddha talked about this, and I even used this as my talk on, on Father's Day this year. You know, Rahula's first lesson was all about skillful speech. You know, and the Buddha didn't just say, like, hey, you know, don't tell lies. He told Rahula to really think about how he was using his speech. Think about it not only in terms of the past, but of the future and of the present. And to think about, okay, when I'm doing something, when I'm saying something, how is it affecting myself, my own sense of peace, my own sense of happiness? And how is it affecting others and their peace and their happiness? And that's it. You know, and, and when I brought this up with my, my fellow students, this idea of like, well, maybe, maybe just this. They still brought it back to this kind of uh, philosophical bent. Yes, but, but what is helpful? What is helpful? And the thing is, we don't really know what helpful is. There's no criteria, this perfect example of what's helpful. We simply have our intentions. Can we make our intentions skillful? And what does that even mean, skillful? Can we have the intention to not harm ourselves and to not harm others? And if we can practice with that intention, that's enough for now in this present moment to just keep looking for that intention, to keep having that intention, to let that intention guide your thoughts, your words, and actions. Will you be perfect? No. Are you every time for sure going to help yourself? No. For sure going to help others? No. But you're cultivating something. You're cultivating it, which means that each time you do it, you get a little better at it. Each time you do it, you get a little more skillful at it, hopefully. You, you at least have something to learn from, something to base future actions on, which is what was in that lesson. Looking at the past, you can see what worked and what didn't, what you could have done differently, and then you can course correct, course correct which for me is a very gentle way of, of pursuing this. A lot of people, they, they get so caught up with, with what's happening in the world that they feel that there must be immediate action, immediate change. They say, look at you sitting on that cushion doing nothing. Get up and go do something. And then people respond with something clever like, well, stop, you know, what are you, what are you doing something? You know, hurry up and sit, you know, as if sitting is also not doing something. And there's, there's all these things that people throw back at each other, you know. If you're not paying attention, like, you know, if, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. That's one of those popular ones, right? For me, like, if you really look at that, you know, if you're, if you're not angry, you're not paying attention. I would say, if, if, you know, if you really paid more attention, you'd see that in the world, 
we're not really lacking for anger. I really don't think not having enough anger is the problem. So let's, let's go ahead and transition now to one of the other areas that, that people often get upset at Buddhists for, which is really um, you know, social engagement. That's, that's the big hot one. In fact, that's what one of my, my fellow cohort was actually referring to, you know, all these things in the world, like look at all the wars, look at all the violence. How do we do anything about this? Well, on an individual level, I really truly believe what we can do is start with ourselves and start with our immediate lives in the present moment. The Buddha promised us that this path we walk on is not something that just leads to some happiness further down the road. He taught a path that he said was, was pleasant, was beneficial, beautiful, in the beginning, in the middle, in the end. And what that means is that if you apply the teachings in the present moment, if you apply them diligently, if you apply them skillfully, then there should be a little bit of alleviation of suffering even right then and there. Something that builds the foundation for even more in the future and more in the future. And if you have that for yourself, you can do that for others by being kind, by being generous, by being truthful. You know, we want to change the world, but look how hard it is to change ourselves. We have to make sure that even as we get caught up in the activities of the world, all the things happening out there, that we don't forget about ourselves. I really do think that that's why for the Buddha, the, the real important lesson, the highest form of practice, is the kind that you not only do for, your, for yourself, but others. Not only for others, but for yourself. You know, uh, these days, one of the big things you find on social media, Instagram, Twitter, is self-care, right? Everyone's stressed out at work. Everyone's stressed out with the kids. Everyone's stressed out with the relatives, their spouses, everything. And they're looking for self-care. And people are real easy, like real, real quick to jump on that self-care. Like you think, you think taking a bubble bath is self-care? Like taking down the patriarchy is self-care. And it's like, whoa. Slow down. You know, maybe both are. Maybe take the bubble bath, relax for 20 minutes, and then start formulating plans for taking down the patriarchy while you towel off, you know? Like, it's not one or the other. You can do both, right? You can do both. But you have to remember that anything you do, any action you do, starts with the mind. It always starts with you. You are your refuge. You have to make sure that you are guarding and protecting yourself and the path you walk on. The things you're trying to cultivate, you have to protect those things because they are precious. They are treasures. We talk about the refuges of the Buddha, the Dharma, and Sangha as jewels, as treasures. But this kind of sort of open secret fourth one of yourself, that's also a treasure. That's something that needs to be respected and cultivated, seen as something useful. This is how you walk the path in this mind and body that you possess. So I think that's what the Buddha was getting at, wrapped up in this funny story about frying pan, you know, that, that we have to make sure that, that we're guarding ourselves. I've found that, that helpful, you know, because uh, quite honestly, you know, if, if you don't have that, you don't have a whole lot to give anyway. I mean, if you're, if you're chaos on the inside, 
you're not going to do anything about the chaos outside. You're not really going to be all that skillful. So even if you try to help, you might not be all that helpful. You got to cool down the chaos in here. And that doesn't mean you got to wait until you're perfected to do anything with what's going on outside. In fact, working on this inside part involves a lot of activity that involves the outside. That's a part of interconnectedness. You know, that part also matters. We can have the intention for both. Uh, you know, when thinking about this, I, I, was, I was reminded of something I tried to do years ago. You know, I, I was caught up. I had this fervor for wanting to, to change the world, you know, and I was sick of how things were. And, you know, I had all the, the passion and energy of someone in, in his early 20s. And, man, how fleeting is that? Uh, but back then, I was real fired up. And Earth Day was coming up. And so a friend of mine and I, we decided we're going to do something big. We're going to invite all of our friends and all of our family to do this big Earth Day cleanup at one of our favorite like nature parks. You can go hiking. There's a waterfall and we'll pick up trash. We'll buy gloves and have bags and everything is ready to go. And we'll have a big fun day, right? Another friend of mine decided to throw an Earth Day party. Guess which one everybody went to? So everyone else was partying on Earth Day, praying about how they hope the Earth gets better. And my friend and I were alone, hiking up a trail, picking up trash. Right? Uh, we have, I'm sure both groups had a good time. I'm not really sure which one was really doing something concrete. Maybe, you know, the ones partying really planted some good seeds for future efforts, and we just got tired and went to dinner after we picked up trash and forgot about the event. So who knows? But there is this, this uh, tendency, I think, to uh, not, not find balance and to, to be upset when, when things don't work out, when you don't change the world. Here I was putting all this energy into Earth Day. I'm going to save the world. Let's pick up some trash. And then I end up being the only guy doing it, right? Aside from my friend, the two of us. But that trash we picked up, just the two of us, was still trash that was picked up. It's not there anymore, right? Probably in some landfill or something, so still somewhere, but not there where the pretty waterfall is, you know? But it was at least something. It was good intentioned. It wasn't perfect, but it was something for me to, to, to base my future actions on. And I even came to a point where I wasn't even all that upset at the people who went to the party. You know, because at least they went to an Earth Day party. You know, it might not have been concrete actions like me. I felt so superior picking up trash. But, you know, they could have been doing something else on Earth Day. They could have completely forgotten about Earth Day. They could have been watching TV instead. They could have gone to a fast food place and thrown the wrapper right out the, the, the car window onto the, onto the ground and really, you know, give the finger to Earth Day, you know. But they were at something that was meant to promote something about the Earth. It was something. Which gets back to what we now know about the proper way to practice. Focusing on ourselves, but also encouraging others. That's a little place to start. I can encourage people like, hey, Earth Day is a thing. What are you doing for Earth Day? Well, I'm going to a party. Have a great time. I'm sure it'll help. Who knows? But it's something, something, some form of encouragement. All right. So I hope that was encouraging. Uh, you know, it might not be as polished as some of my other talks. They can't all be TED Talks, guys. But I'm hoping, 
I'm hoping at least that that I gave you uh, my own perspective on on Buddhism and how it's it's beneficial not only for ourselves and for others that that we can have that intention. So know that I walk today with the intention not only of improving my life but also hopefully improving yours and. Hopefully this was part of that. Yeah? Thank you. <laughs>